1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us, as we do every day. We're just hitting the button. We are live streaming the first couple segments of the program. Go to www.facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. And you can see what we look like in the cottage industry is, did, did Jeff's wife pick out his shirt or did he pick out his shirt for the day? So you can check that out. So, Eric, we, we were just we were just discussing this. And we, we got a lot of rain in the area over the last couple of days and, and historic rainfalls out, out in Madison. Yesterday in Milwaukee, less. I mean, it, it came down. We got a couple inches. But it, it came down in a hurry. And some of the video that is out there of these like flooded intersections is amazing. But you and I were both talking that maybe it's just Darwinism, barricades, flooded streets. And you watch this video of people who drive their cars into it. Yeah. And, and we often report about turn around, don't drown. And that that's one of the sayings that they use. And I, I've gotten emails back saying, yeah, thanks, Dad. You know, like comments like that. And it, but. It has to be said and reminded. We've seen time and time again people drive into some of this. It's well, well right. Seeing like okay, like last week you had the heavy rainfall and you had the people that got trapped on I forty three. Right, but that came up suddenly. Mm-hmm. I mean, for for most that was it, it's a it's a poorly constructed area. You go down in a valley. Apparently, they hadn't put in the ditch, so you get this heavy rain and all of a sudden it floods. So you have cars that are trapped in there because it comes up suddenly. I understand that. But you watch this footage. They've got barricades. You can see there's a car floating, and you have idiots. And I'm sorry if that offends people, but if you see a car floating ahead of you and you decide to drive into that intersection, you are an idiot. (laughs) I just don't know how to say it. Have you seen some of the video from the chopper? Over Madison with right. with all of the flooding and a lot of that, yeah, we, we see a lot of cars that are stranded right. on different roads, but a lot of it are people who just parked in parking lots in their car, the, right. the flood water. Right. I mean, everything gone. They have parking garages in some of those right. spots in Middleton where you can't even get into the parking garage because it's just full of well, water. Right. Right and, now. and that's not that's not the people thing. that we're talking about. Because again, I mean, right, I, I, but I'm talking about the people that are driving on the streets. You see the flooded intersection and for whatever reason they decide they're going to drive through the flooded intersection thinking, gee, those four cars that are floating, I'm not going to be one of those people. Very, very frustrating. All right, matter of fact, I've got some comments about um, MMSD, because we got nowhere near as much rain as they got in Madison. Madison, it, it really was an historic rainfall in western Dane County, and, and you can understand some of those problems, despite the fact that it, it rained hard, but not necessarily, hey, let's get Noah to build a boat yesterday. MMSD and the not-deep-enough tunnel dumped a bunch of stuff yesterday, starting late in the evening. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to start off, and once again, we are live streaming on Facebook Live. If you go to www.facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, you can participate in that way as well. Um, Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales gives a press conference. It has been a very bad August from Milwaukee standards as far as, as violence. And the police chief, who I think is actually doing a pretty good job, I, I do, he's reversed some of the policies of his predecessor that I think were built more on political correctness than anything else. And, and during his press conference, he says, look, we, we need community involvement. And of course you do. I have no problem with that. But he also you know, touted some of the things he's done. He touted his, his special investigations division, which are the police officers that are there. They're, they're going after that, that 10%, the 10 percenters, the 10% of the criminal element that commits 70, 80% of the crime. 
apprehending fugitives, executing search warrants, investigating crimes involving drugs or guns. That is a good, good thing. He also talked about how he has been advancing the the new chase policy that they have as part of the department's reckless driving initiative where, you know, they're they're working with the state patrol. They're working with the sheriff's office. They are making traffic related citations. They're saying, look, you know, we're not going to allow people to drive recklessly. We're not going to drive allow people to drive faster. Yes, we are going to engage in chases. Pursuits are up two hundred and thirty nine percent. But he said fatal collisions are down 21%. Why could that be? Well, it's because what we've learned is when you let the bad guys just drive away at a high rate of speed, they're not going to stop. They're going to be back out doing something again later, putting the public at risk. So, I mean, I I think all this stuff is a positive. But there was something the police chief did not say yesterday that I was quite honestly disappointed because – and until the mayor and until the common council and until the police chief use the bully pulpit that he has, we're, we're going to, I think, continue to have this problem. Let me give you the contrast. Yesterday, the chief of police in Chicago and Chicago, just the weekend of August 17th and 19th, 58 people shot four dead. But as horrible as that sounds, The truth of the matter is that, you know, per capita, Milwaukee is kind of on a pace with Chicago. So the police chief came out yesterday, and here's what the police chief said. He said, look, you know, we're all trying hard, and law enforcement can only do so much, though. Here's the problem. He said, look, you know, part of the problem that we have, it's not the cops. It is the judges, and it's the prosecutors. He said the police can only do so much. But he says it doesn't take a rocket science to, to figure out why shootings continue to be a problem in Chicago. He said these shootings are not random. They're fueled by gang conflicts. We know who they are. If people don't give us the information we need and our judicial partners don't held, hold them accountable, would you stop if that's what you wanted to? You know, it's ridiculous. And then he goes on again to talk about how we're out there police doing our job. But one of the frustrations we have is when we catch them, if you have people that court the court system that just turns around, puts them out on bail right away, or if they somehow get prosecuted and gets convicted, slap them on the wrist, or prosecutors who decide, well, you know, we're going to give them another chance or we don't want to do these prosecutions, if you allow that to happen, the reality is you're not going to get a handle on crime. And the police chief in Chicago comes out and says, look, you know, we we need help from the prosecutors. We need help from the judges because we can't do it alone. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think he is on to something. And while I applaud what the police chief in Milwaukee said yesterday, I think it's way past time to start calling out the court system, identifying people that get caught that either don't get charged or get plea bargained down or get put on probation or double secret probation or get appallingly low sentences. And I guarantee you, if judges who are elected by the public started getting called out when they make bad decisions, and I mean bad in the sense of taking dangerous people and for whatever reason deciding we're going to give you a fifth or sixth chance, 
Maybe, just maybe, the city would be safer. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know that live streaming on Facebook Live? I said, well, never mind, not working today for some reason. Back try again tomorrow. 414-799-1620. The, the police chief in Chicago yesterday held a news conference and, and actually said something that everybody has known, but that too many people in power around here, at least in Milwaukee, have been too gutless, yes, that's the word, gutless to say, that when it comes to crime, a big part of the problem is prosecutors who do not prosecute and judges who do not sentence. And as a result, you have people who go back out on the streets and commit crime after crime after crime. And you do have a certain segment of the community who who apparently likes that. My God, you have all these people who were running for the Democratic nomination, including Tony Evers, who are running on platforms of let's open up the prisons and turn people loose. That's the last darn thing that you need. 414-799-1620. Let's start with uh, Jim in Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Jeff, we are getting the government we deserve. Because the last time we had a big judicial election with all these different positions open, nobody ran opposed. They all ran unopposed. Nobody ever does, right? No, no. It, it, it is very, very rare to have somebody once they get in. Um, they, they almost never have an opponent. Almost never when they run again six years from now. You're right. What, what do we do? Do we have to institute a draft to get people to run against these judges? I don't get it. I well, I think it. see, but I, I think the fact that there's no scrutiny ends up making it a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you had judges, for example, and, and everybody in the legal system knows who the soft judges are, if they were being called out regularly by Tom Barrett, by um, Ashanti Hamilton, by, um, again, the police chief, you know, maybe you'd, you'd have some pressure and maybe you'd have some people that would challenge them. But nobody in public office is willing to come on and take them on because they don't want to alienate that part of their constituency that doesn't like to have people sent to prison for committing crimes. Well, and Chisholm got in again, too. Uh, yeah, right. No, thanks for going. Right. Ex- exactly. He and, and because, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people don't run for certain positions, but but in general... The judicial system, the elected judicial system in Wisconsin, is built around, let's not rock the boat. Judges in a courthouse don't like when lawyers challenge other judges because that then might inspire people to challenge them. But in general, what goes on in a courthouse gets very, very little coverage. I mean, you you don't see sentencing unless it's a high – they're used to back in the day. When, back in the day, when I was a prosecutor, you had, for example, two newspapers – you had the Journal Sentinel, and then you had you had the Journal, you had the Sentinel. They each had a reporter who was dedicated to covering the federal courthouse. They competed with each other. They wrote stories about what happened. They also had reporters that covered the courthouse. They sat there. They reported on sentencings. Now, this doesn't happen anymore. Unless it's an incredibly high-profile case, you don't know how the thing is disposed of. And so that's why we hear these different stories about you know, we wonder, how did this guy get out? Or how did he commit this crime, this horrible crime with this kind of record? Because there's nobody holding people accountable. Let's talk to Tony on the Northwest Side. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Afternoon. Hi, um, I have commented on your show before about the judges and the prosecutors need to be held accountable. And also, we just had a $100 million surplus you could have built to prisons. 
And and Chief Flynn was absolutely correct, and he he said it best. And he said, you know, I keep we keep arresting, we keep arresting, and they keep letting them go. What are we supposed to do? Well, you know, thank thank you. Now I understand why he stopped chasing the cars because why keep chasing? Maybe cause an accident. When the when the uh, judges let him go, yeah, no, thanks. I mean, that was while I thought Ed Flynn's policy of not chasing was was dumb and and, and dangerous. I, I was always sympathetic, and we discussed this. I, I I was always sympathetic to his one argument, which is okay. You know, we have the it's a stolen car. We have people drive by at ninety five miles an hour, blow a stoplight, blow two or stoplights, blow three stoplights. Why should we bother chasing? Because if we catch them, all right, and they're driving the stolen car, chances are nothing is going to happen to them. You can, you know, if you're 15 years old and you're stealing cars in Milwaukee, as a practical matter, they're not going to wave you into adult court. You you are not going to be treated as an adult. Car theft, now, you, you know, if you if it becomes a carjacking, a crime of violence, maybe, maybe, maybe they will. But you can pretty much steal as many cars as you want, and the chances of you getting waived into adult court are slim to none if you are a juvenile. And the chances of anything significant happening to you in juvenile court is pretty much even less than slim to none. And slim is on a bus um, out of town. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, my, my thoughts are, uh, you know, let's get these uh, prisons built. Uh, we have money to build prisons mm-hmm. and put these people in jail. Aren't there any lawyers that don't want to run against judges and go on a platform that say, we are going to put these guys in prison? Well, I, I, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm just saying, aren't there any uh, hardline uh, lawyers that say, you want to do it? Not too many. No, thanks for calling. Not, not, not too many. They're, they're just not too many. Now, the other reality is, and, and people don't like to necessarily hear this, but the reality is, being a judge isn't that great a job. I mean, it, it is. That's, it, you know, there's there's a lot of people who work in the private sector that have all sorts of different pressures, uh, billable hours, and things like that that make a lot more money. I mean, it's 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 a it's an okay job. I mean, but it it tends to a it, I'm trying to think of how to say this exactly. I'm just going to leave it to, for some people that they love it, they absolutely love it. For a lot of people, it's really not that great a job. It's not that attractive a job. So there's only certain types of people that are going to be attracted to want to be on the bench. That is limiting. And then when you couple that with the fact that, well, you know, let's not rock the boat. Let's not, you know, run an aggressive campaign. Let's not call people out on their sentences because we don't want to upset anybody and we don't want to get certain people in the community mad at us. But, I mean, I give this police chief credit. And, look, I'm not saying that every criminal court sentence that comes out is wrong. It's not. But the way the criminal court systems operate is we are just taking people – who are dangerous, we are sending them back out on the street to commit more and more crimes. And if you talk to most people in the law enforcement community, the cops on the street, they'll tell you that is their biggest frustration, oh, it's so-and-so again, we just busted him, we caught him with a gun, he's back out on the street doing the same thing, and they throw up their hands. It's great to have these saturation patrols. I, I think the chief is on the right right side when he talks about you know the special investigative unit i'm thrilled that we're not letting the bad guys get away but unless you have work to do on the back end well it, it doesn't solve the problem 1226 jeff wagner wtmj 12 
1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Packers fans throughout this week during Sports Central, you could win a pair of tickets to see one of the country's most popular comedians, Jim Gaffigan, on Saturday, September 22nd at Fiserv Forum. Okay, it's not the Fiserv Forum, I'm told. It's Fiserv Forum. Not like, I guess it's like you don't go to the Miller Park. You go to Miller Park. So you don't go to the Fiserv Forum. You go to Fiserv Forum. All right, you say tomato, I say tomato, but we all should say Fiserv Forum without the in front of it. And don't forget, be sure to listen during the halftime of this week's preseason game for the Green and Gold Giveaway. That is courtesy of the Paps Theater Group. Coming up in the next half hour of the show, that's not a Baby Ruth bar. That's a floater in Lake Michigan. Is President Trump his own worst enemy? And the scam artists on the Racine School Board are at it again. Stick around. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Badgers football is ranked as a top, the Badgers football program is ranked as a top five team by the AP in a preseason poll. Will recent off the field disturbances, that's a charitable way to say it, impact their depth chart and ultimately their playoff hopes? Greg Matzik dives in tonight at 625 on Sports Central. Grew, you have to remind me, I gotta let this D thing go. Cause I mean, I just, but it is interesting. You don't say, I'm going to, I'm going to go see a game at Bradley Center. You say, I'm going to go see it at the Bradley Center. So I got to retrain myself. We are not going to go see games at the Fiserv Forum. We're going to go see games at Fiserv Forum. Well, the Forum. Well, no, I, but then, but the Fiserv wants that, that, you know, you're going to go see a, you're, well, I mean, at Summerfest, you're going to go see a concert at the American Family Amphitheater, or the Mark, before that, the, the Marcus Amphitheater, you don't, you put the D in there. They can call it whatever they want. I'm just pondering here, it's, it, it is, <laughs> they can call it whatever they want, I guess, but I'm, I'm going to be sitting there. This is going to be a discussion. People are going to be having over dinner. Why aren't, why are they dropping the D on this thing? Oh, well, they are, regardless. Um, yesterday, there was, there was dumping. Uh, by MMSD. Now, l- let's kind of review the bidding on this. Y- yesterday, around here, now, Madison, it, it rained. I mean, Noah gets ready to build a boat. Okay, so, I mean, y- yesterday in Madison, it, it, it rained. I mean, you know, you're talking about record rainfalls, and, you know, 11 to 12 inches, you get that much water, there, there's, there's nothing that you can do. I mean, I don't... I don't care whether it's the the streams or garages or sewer systems or whatever. It's when you get that much rain over that period of time, you're you're not going to be able to deal with it. Around here, it was not a Noah build a boat type of rain. It it rained a lot. You had a couple inches of rain, and admittedly, it came down a little bit fast. And admittedly, we had some rain last last week. But but this was not a hundred year flood around here yesterday. It just, it flat out wasn't. Came down quick. I get that. Wet caused problems. I get that. But again, this was not a hundred year flood. And yet starting last night at about 1130, MMSD started dumping, dumping, um, combined sanitary and sewer stuff, which means stuff from people's toilets and bathtubs into, into the lake. And as near as I can tell, they continue doing that until, you know, early this morning. 
This is the third time that this has now happened this year. They haven't announced how much they're, they've dumped. And, you know, one of the things some people will say, well, you know, what, what's the big deal? We've got, you know, millions and millions of gallons. And so, you know, only some of it's going to be stuff out of people's toilets. Well, all right. I mean, okay. You, you pour a, a bath, you know, you, you fill your bathtub. You're, you're not going to want something out of your toilet in that bathtub, even though it's only a small percentage. Now, I, Whenever we have talked about this, I express my frustration, but this is not a frustration with MMSD. It is an indictment of how silly we were around here years and years ago when we went the the deep tunnel route. Um, All right, before I go off on my rant, Eric Bilstadt, we have some breaking news. Yes, Michael Cohen has agreed to a deal. Michael Cohen, of course, the former personal attorney for President Trump, who had been charged with bank fraud and other charges, is going to agree to a deal. We're told, Jeff, that this deal will include some jail time. And who knows what else it may include, if that means he's going to agree to a deal where he will provide more details on something else. But it was going to deal with some fraud charges, also with some campaign finance charges. Of course, you know who Michael Cohen is. He's the one that allegedly paid off Stormy Daniels, uh, the porn actress who had uh, accused uh, President Trump of uh, trying to keep her quiet. We're going to get an update here from ABC here in about 15 seconds, and they may be able to provide some more uh, information on what exactly this will mean moving forward. But Michael Cohen has agreed to a plea deal and will do some jail time as well. Let's get the latest now from ABC. This is a special report from ABC News. I'm Scott Goldberg in New York. ABC News has learned President Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, has reached a plea deal with federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. And this involves several counts of campaign finance violations, bank fraud, and tax evasion. This plea deal could be filed today, and it could involve jail time for President Trump's former attorney. Once again, ABC News has learned that Michael Cohen has entered into a plea agreement with federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. I'm Scott Goldberg. This has been a special report from ABC News. So the plea deal could happen as early as this afternoon. 1241, much more coming up at 1 o'clock. Yeah, and we'll continue to keep you posted on that. It, I, you know, Who knows what the charges are? He was under investigation for bank fraud for filing uh, bank statements to take out bank loans and providing false information. Um, Obviously, the open question is going to be, does he have information that could impeach President Trump or cause problems for President Trump? And there'll be a lot of speculation. That's one where we'll just have to wait and see. In any event, so yesterday it rained hard, and I I acknowledge it rained hard, but it was not a cataclysmic type of rain around here. And yet, starting last night around 10.30, MMSD started dumping. Now, I don't fault MMSD because the choice is, as the deep tunnel is filling up, the choice is either you start dumping stuff into the lakes and the waterways or you let stuff back up into people's basement, causing millions of dollars of damage and providing health risks. You cannot allow that to happen. So I don't fault MMSD for doing the dumping. And this is the third time they've done this this year. What I fault is... The system that we developed years and years ago and the billions of dollars we spent to build an inherently flawed system. For those of you who were not around here at the time and don't remember sewer wars, essentially here is is the problem. In many, many communities across this country, you have 
storm sewers, which are separate from sanitary sewers. The storm sewer, it rains. The rain comes off of your roof. It goes down through your gutter. It goes through the downspout, and then it goes out into the water, onto the street or whatever, where it, it runs off um, into a storm sewer and ultimately is dumped into a waterway. Right? That water doesn't have to be treated. Now, it's not a problem if you do treat it because you know it, it picks up dirt, it picks up acids or whatever, but it doesn't have to be treated. That's storm sewer water. Then you have the sanitary sewers, the stuff from your toilets and your dishwashers and your washing machines and your showers and your bathtubs. That has to be treated because, well, it's from your toilets. It's got stuff in it. Well, in most places, the storm sewers are separate from the sanitary sewers. And what happens is the sanitary sewers all go one place, the stuff gets treated, and the storm sewer water, it just kind of runs off. Now, like I say, it's, it, there's no harm in treating, you know, runoff storm water. Matter of fact, it's probably a good thing, but it doesn't have to be done. Well, in Milwaukee and in parts of Shorewood, you have a combined storm and sanitary sewer system. All the water that comes down in rainfall runs off and mixes in with the stuff from people's toilets. So there was two ways that you could have gone years and years ago. You could have, and what they should have done, is separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers. And then you wouldn't have a problem. But instead, the city of Milwaukee used its clout and created this whole big sewage district, even though the real problem, again, is just parts of Milwaukee and parts of Shorewood where you have the combined sewers. So they built the deep tunnel. So now what happens is you get all the runoff, the storm sewer runoff and the sanitary sewer runoff, and it goes into a tunnel where it is held, big holding tank, and treated and then, you know, sent out. The problem, of course, is you can't build a tunnel deep enough for when you get heavy rain. So instead of separating these, so you just let the storm water be the storm water, instead we mix it with the sanitary sewer stuff from parts of Milwaukee and parts of Shorewood. And then, of course, it needs to be treated. Then the rain comes hard. There's too much stuff that's in there, and you have to dump. That's the simplest way that I can explain this, and it continues to be a problem. And I guess it is one of these aggravating things to me, because if you were out on Lake Michigan and you decided to, I don't know, drop trowel and poop off the side of your boat, and the Coast Guard saw you, you would be in a lot of trouble for a variety of reasons. But yet, whenever we get a couple inches of rain, admittedly, you know, in a short period of time, the deep tunnel gets too full, and so the people that run the deep tunnel have no choice but to start dumping exactly that type of stuff, except in large quantities, into Lake Michigan. And there's as long as we are stuck with the deep tunnel concept, until we bite the bullet and realize that you've got to separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers in Milwaukee and Shorewood, this is always going to be the story. It is going to happen over and over again. And it is amazing to me that all the environmentalists we have in this community just kind of turn a blind eye to this. Now, again, the solution under these circumstances isn't to allow the deep tunnel to fill up and have the stuff back up into people's basements. I'm not arguing that. Like I say, I don't fault MMSD. They have no choice. They're watching the rain come in. They're seeing the stuff fill up. They know they can't treat it fast enough, so it's either backups in people's basements or you dump it into the lake. That's not a great choice, but given those choices, I agree. Dump it into the lake. My point is, 
We've got a flawed system. You shouldn't have to make that choice in the first place. And if it means people who live in the city of Milwaukee and people who live in the People's Republic of Shorewood having to pay up to separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers, well, it's long overdue. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The breaking news right now is that the uh, president's former attorney, Michael Cohen, and it, it, you do kind of wonder about this guy, what, what the president was doing associating with somebody like Cohen in the first place, regardless of regardless of what you think about the president. It's, man, I mean, gee, you should be surprised that you have somebody who's now apparently entering into a plea agreement. We'll have more details, I think, as the afternoon emerges. My guess is he will be pleading guilty um, to certain federal crimes. I don't know if any of them are going to be in connection with his dealings with the president. He's under investigation for bank fraud, making false statements and things like that. But I'm sure any deal will include cooperation. But I'll I'll, I'll try to break it down once we know a little bit more. The Paul Manafort jury is out. Now, I want to say this. I, I thought that this was going to be, I thought they'd have a verdict quicker. 18 counts of of fraud and tax evasion and things of the like. And the jury apparently came out with a question this morning suggesting that they might be unable to reach a verdict on one count. And they were asking the judge how to proceed. And the judge told them, okay, go back, try to reach a unanimous verdict. If they come back and say they're hung on that count, my guess is the judge will say, okay, well, I'll take whatever verdicts you might have. My guess is they have reached a verdict on most of the counts, but are are hung on on one. Uh, people ask how often this happens. And I have to tell you, in all the years I, I tried cases in federal court, I never had a jury that was unable to reach at least a verdict on some counts. Matter of fact, I only had one case where on one count it was a it was a perjury count. And, and they, they, they convicted the person on one count and they were unable to reach a verdict on another. But it is amazing to me, and, and I say this in general, how often jurors are able to reach verdicts. I mean, imagine you take 12 people from completely divergent backgrounds, you put them in a very, very artificial setting of a courtroom and where the, the presentation of the cases and the evidence is governed by rules of evidence and limitations and things like that. And then you send them back and then you say, reach a unanimous verdict. It It's it's beyond me. I'm just always amazed that, that people are able to come together and, in fact, reach verdicts under those situations. In the Manafort case, my guess is they have a verdict on most counts. My guess is, again, that there's going to be multiple guilty verdicts, but there's one or two counts that some people are having problems with. I think that we'll probably have a verdict perhaps sometime this afternoon it, because when you get a letter like that or a note like that, it tells me they're probably close. A lot of times what happens in these things is you get kind of a compromise verdict. Maybe maybe there's a couple jurors who have reluctantly agreed to go along with guilty verdicts on certain counts, and but they're really kind of digging in their heels. I don't think the government's proved this one. So sometimes you, you have some horse trading that goes on in a jury room. Okay, I tell you what, you know, you voted to convict on these counts. Um, we'll we'll agree not guilty on a couple other counts or something. That's perfectly legitimate if it happens, and I think it happens all the time in jury rooms. I, I my guess is a verdict relatively near in the Manafort case. This is a case to watch. I mean, again, it doesn't reflect on his involvement with the Trump administration. It really has nothing to do with the Russia investigation. But again, it does reflect. Here you have a guy who was 
at least by virtue of the evidence I saw, appeared to be a pretty big-time tax cheat, and the president tabbed him to run his campaign for a couple months. Go figure. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We'll take an ABC status update at the top of the hour. Latest developments in the breaking news story. President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, announcing, uh, at least the reports are, that he is... Entering into a plea deal, which will involve him pleading guilty to some things and presumably cooperating. Don't know exactly what that means. An update on a story we talked about yesterday. The Kiwaskum Village Board yesterday met last night to consider a request by the school district that they pass a municipal ordinance, which would have brought the cops in if kids improperly used cell phones in class. And it would have given the police the power to write tickets to the kids in the amount of, what was it, 150-some bucks or whatever. I argued yesterday that this is insane, that what you do is this is a matter for the school to handle. I argued if somebody whips out a cell phone in class, you confiscate it. That was my point. Some people said, oh, that's too harsh. You you treat it with an in-school suspension or whatever. I don't care how you decide to handle it. This is not a matter to get the law enforcement community involved in. They have more important things. And by a 7-0 to vote, the Kiwaskum Village Board agreed. They got it right. It's 1258. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right. We will, again, continue to keep you updated. It's tough to describe what impact the Michael Cohen plea agreement might have on President Trump. The problem with Cohen is he's he's just been so all over the map with all the different statements that he said that his value as a cooperating witness in any criminal prosecution seems to me to be relatively minimal. But, you know, here is a guy who unquestionably... Um, was very close to the Trump administration. And um, for those people who think he knows where the bodies are buried, there might be something to that. All right. I do want to start this hour off by there's a really a very interesting column in the Wall Street Journal this morning. The headline is the president steps on his own good news. And my question is going to be, even if you are a fan of the president, is he his own worst enemy? Let me share with you a portion of this story. Let's imagine for a moment a parallel universe in which President Trump last week didn't call a one-time top female aide a dog, didn't revoke the security clearance of a former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, did not author, author 10 tweets attacking the Federal Bureau of Investigation officials, or unleash 11 others criticizing aspects of the investigation of Special Counsel Robert Mueller. In that parallel universe... Which of these other stories might have gotten more attention? A Commerce Department report on booming sales in grocery stores, restaurants, and department stores. The largest one-day rise in the stock market in four months. The approval by Mr. Trump's own Food and Drug Administration of a life-saving generic version of the EpiPen injector device for allergic reactions. And the resumption of trade talks with Chinese officials who increasingly appear shaken by the Trump administration's tough actions. Probably all of them would have gotten more attention, which simply points to one of the most baffling aspects of the Trump presidency, the way the president's addiction to controversy and his attractions to fights gets in the way of his own best interests. In a conventional presidency, the president would be far more inclined to ignore critics and stay away from feuds, particularly when there are good things to talk about instead. 
The White House is the ultimate bully pulpit, after all, with the ability to help set the national conversation. And there are actually are good things to talk about in Trump world. The economic picture is one of it is one that any president would envy. Economic growth is steady. Employment is growing. Retail sales are soaring and the stock market is way up. A new report last week found that worker productivity, oddly stagnant in recent years, is rising. Another development that got virtually no attention. Of course, the economic surge may be a temporary sugar high, driven by a tax cut that is driving up the deficit and by extension interest rates to unsustainable levels. What now appears to be Chinese efforts to calm fears of a crippling trade war could turn around any day. For now, though, that's not the picture. And the point is that the president often deflects attention to the negative. He seems incapable of moving away from his longstanding practice in the private sector of punching back at all who challenge him. That might make sense in a real estate battle. But in a presidency, the practice of constantly counterpunching actually turns the initiative over to the punchers. One of the powers a president has is to ignore critics and deprive them of oxygen. When Presidents Reagan and Clinton faced their own independent counsel investigations, they set up systems to keep the investigation and the stories about them out of the Oval Office. Mr. Reagan, in particular, agreed under urging by aides to refuse to even answer questions about the Iran-Contra inquiry until it was completed. Mr. Trump, by contrast, brings the Mueller investigation into the White House on an almost daily basis. The president and his aides doubtless blame the media, otherwise known as the fake news enemy of the people media, for focusing only on the bad and the controversial. That would make Mr. Trump the 45th president out of 45 who's made that complaint. It goes with the territory. In fact, Mr. Trump almost compels the press to cover stories that infuriate him by refusing to ignore them himself. His almost daily attacks on Mr. Mueller are actually keeping a spotlight on his inquiry. When the president is publicly attacking a special counsel or FBI agents or a former CIA chief by name, that is not a story that can be ignored. A reasonable gauge of this president's public messaging in his, is his Twitter feed, where there, are, where there are the count over the past week is as follows. Tweets on the disputes regarding the Mueller investigation, the security clearance of former CIA head CIA head John Brennan and the feud with former aide Omarosa, 43 tweets on the economy, seven. All right. And it goes on. But you get the idea. The question becoming, is President Trump by this this desire and this insistence to punch back by the refusal to let stuff go by the fact that he's got to bring the Mueller investigation in all the time? Does he keep this alive? In other words, the theory of this particular columnist is that in many respects, President Trump is his own worst enemy because there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. You look at the economy, and this is an economy that most presidents would have been delighted to have. You look at the Food and Drug Administration. This EpiPen thing is a big deal. Stock market is up, but nobody talks about those things, partly because of the media's obsession with all the bad stuff, but also, at least the theory is, partly because President Trump is obsessed with this as well. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there is a lot to it. I think by his refusal to let stuff go, by his thin-skinned desire and the need to, again, punch back, I think he hurts himself 
and makes it more difficult for the message of the positive things that he's accomplishing to get out. Now, I understand that there's a lot of people out there who love the fact that he takes it to the media, loves the fact that he you know, picks fights with all these people. But at some point in time, big picture, is this harming his presidency by depriving him of the ability to maybe get credit for what the good stuff is that he's accomplishing? Or would he not get credit for anything anyways? 414-799-1620. Is President Trump his own worst enemy? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. 116, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The best in the business. Larry's insight and knowledge of the game. And then I just love Wayne's play-by-play. Packers football with Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarron. The green and gold hit the road for week three of preseason action. It's the Packers and Raiders from Oakland. Our Packers game day coverage kicks off with WTMJ's opening drive Friday at 6. We're the home of the Packers since 1929. WTMJ. Let's talk for a minute about Serta Pro Painters. A couple of years ago, the outside of my old house badly needed painting. I hired Serta Pro Painters, and I could not be happier with the job they did for me. They showed up on time. They worked around my schedule. They used quality materials. They did a great job. They cleaned up after themselves, and they charged me a price that I felt was exceptionally reasonable. They also found a couple areas around the house where the wood was rotting, and they replaced it. They were outstanding to work with, and even though the house was painted a couple years ago, I think the exterior held up great. Painting is a quick, cost-effective way to protect and grow the value of your home this summer. Summer entertaining means lots of eyes on your house. Make your best impression this summer. Show off your house to your friends and neighbors and boost your curb appeal with a fresh coat of paint. Each Serta Pro Painters business is independently owned and operated. They're right here local in our community. Schedule your free estimate online at SertaPro.com or call 800-GO-SERTA. That's Serta with a C. Serta Pro Painters say, we do painting, you do life. The numbers are pretty shocking. 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Only 40% feel financially stable. And only 35% have an emergency fund. Annex Wealth Management wants you to know the difference. Working without a plan is scary. It's stressful. It's a roadblock to achieving long-term goals. But rather than doing the right thing, people avoid doing anything. You work too hard to not have a plan. If you think it's too expensive, too complicated, or you don't know where to start, have Annex Wealth Management guide you. We've invested decades in building our team, our technology, and your trust. It's time to know the difference. It's time to sit down with our team. We're ready with five locations, including our new downtown office inside the Fister Hotel. And don't forget Annex Everywhere, the secure online platform that brings our team to you. Join us Saturday morning for Money Talk at 10 a.m. right here on WTMJ. We'll cover the markets, answer your questions, and talk about how to plan. 262-786-6363 or AnnexWealth.com. It's 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. U.S. Congressman Mark Pocan wants to eliminate a major, major federal agency. He joins John McCure live to share what that agency is and why he wants to do it. Tune in 420 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, right before the break, I shared with you a story that appears in today's Wall Street Journal. The, the point of the columnist is that President Trump is, in many respects, his own worst enemy. And the, the columnist makes the point that, all right, last week, there was a lot of economic good news. Stock market had its biggest day in four years. 
uh, Chinese officials backing down perhaps on the, the whole notion of a trade war, maybe in response to some of the, the saber rattling that President Trump had engaged in. Commerce Department reports booming sales in grocery stores, restaurants, and department stores. And the FDA approves a generic EpiPen, which will, I don't know, save save average citizens I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars a year. This is all good news. But my guess is very few people heard this. Now, part of it is because of the obsession of the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the CNNs of the world, that absolutely loathe President Trump. No question about it. They they loathe him. And so, obviously, they are going to be reluctant to report good news. I understand that that's the reality. But part of the thing that goes on is... The president who uh, obsesses with the Mueller investigation, who obsesses with, you know, the former director of the CIA, who obsesses with the, the FBI officials by sending out tweet after tweet after tweet on those things. He invites the coverage. And the point is, is he his own worst enemy? And, and my answer is, is clearly yes. I admit my hope had been that when he won the election, he would have said, OK, I, I've won. I, I don't need to use the same tactics that I used, you know, as a New York real estate developer. Not everything needs to be a grudge match. I don't need to, I don't know, belittle myself by getting involved in Twitter wars with people who otherwise are of no consequence. Because the problem is when somebody throws out a challenge to the leader of the free world and the leader of the free world then, in fact, responds what you do is you elevate that person who's made the challenge. You, you bring them up to their level. And I, I kind of thought that maybe he'd be able to get over it. Now, silly me, because I guess once you're 72, you're, 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 way, you're kind of stuck in your ways. But it, it really, to me, is striking how I, I think and I, how, how much I think the president hurts himself by his inability to stay on a particular message and by you know taking on Robert Mueller at this point in time really doesn't get you anywhere. If you want to build support and you want to build an approval rating outside your immediate base, talk about how good the stock market's doing. Talk about um, consumer spending going up. Talk about how good people feel about the economy. That's that's a winning formula, I think. And again, admittedly, admittedly, you're going to have trouble breaking through. I, I understand that because some people are out to get him, but he makes it easy. All right, I have an email here. Nope, it's not President Trump. It's the mainstream media over the top to get him. Oh, you mean it's a witch hunt? Well, he makes it easy for that to happen. Randy from Franklin says, I wonder if he does this on purpose. I don't think so. I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think that it's necessarily on purpose. I think it's that he's attacked and he feels a necessity to respond instead of simply saying, who is this person? Why do I care? Let's talk to Dan in New Berlin. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I I agree that 50% of it uh, probably is uh, ill-advised. But then again, on the other portion is that the press is usually never, they've uh, very rarely been called out in the last, um, you know, 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. And he is calling them out on on a lot of things that they are doing wrong. And if he doesn't, they're going to blast him no matter what. There's a vendetta. And it's the whole, you know, someone else was supposed to be president, according to the mainstream media. And it's obvious. 
So. Well, well, no, I mean, there's no question, like I say, that the New York Times reporters, they loathe him. The Washington Post reporters absolutely loathe him. There, there's, there's no question about it. And and he's always going to have trouble getting a fair shake. I, I get that. And, and those, that die is kind of cast. But at the same time, if if you are the president and all you are talking about, you're sending out tweets and, and you're doing your appearances and you're on message and you're talking about how, hey, it looks like. When all these people were saying no, all these people were saying, hey, you can't get involved with a trade war with China, which and I'm one of those people. But look, we think maybe Chinese officials are going to back down. If that is what your message of the day is, what was it that Bill Clinton used to say? It's the economy, stupid. If that's the message of the day, yeah, I understand the New York Times, they're going to write their stories and the Washington Post is going to write their stories. But if you don't give them that ammunition, if you don't send out the tweets talking about Mueller or talking about about whoever, you you don't provide the oxygen for the fire that they are trying to start. And I, I do look. I I understand that 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 Trump is is Trump, you know. And and people who've tried to rein him in have, have kind of failed. And I, I understand that this is the course of the presidency. But I, I think for people who are frustrated by the fact that all a lot of the positive accomplishments that have gone on over the course of the last couple years are are under the radar. Part of it, part of it is, again, to I, I think the president has himself to blame. And I understand how frustrating it has to be. You know, we talked about yesterday that the breathless story in the New York Times over the weekend was how White, the White House counsel, the lawyer Don McGahn, he, he's been apparently cooperating with uh, authorities, with the Mueller investigation. And the New York Times decides to take that story and spin it, saying, oh, this may mean Trump is in trouble. Well, the reality is the only reason the White House counsel was able to cooperate was because the White House, including the president, gave him permission to do it. They waived executive privilege. If that had been a Barack Obama, the way the story would be spun is, see, this is a witch hunt. There can be nothing here because President Obama allowed complete cooperation. Because it's Donald Trump, you get a different story. But, but I understand that you've got, again, that bias that's out there. But when you do what you do and when you send out these tweets on a daily basis, you make it easy for it to happen. Do I think the president's going to change his stripes? No, I don't. But um, I, I agree with this piece in the paper. The president steps on his own good news, and that is unfortunate because there are positive stories out there to tell. It's 125. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Opioids in Wisconsin, how big of a problem is it and what is being done to combat it? Jane Matinair and Mike Spaulding explore at 7.20 a.m. tomorrow morning on Wisconsin's Morning News. Gru, who's producing the show today, you will be glad to know that after 30 years, our long national nightmare is over. The folks from PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, they have just scored a huge victory. This is what they are fighting for. Do you happen to see the story? You did. All right. Melissa, when you were a kid or today, did you ever grow up, grow up eating animal crackers? You know, the cookies that you get in the, those little boxes? I did. I did. Okay. Now, I, I did too. Matter of fact, I, I'd still eat them today, but I, I don't remember the last time I had it. But I, I used to, you know, I used to like them. All right. Now, think back on the box that animal crackers came in. They were made by Nabisco. And if you think back to the outside of the box, the packaging, they would show a number of the different animals that they had, the elephants, the zebras, the mm-hmm, giraffes, the mm-hmm. lions, the gorillas, and they would be in cages. That's how, that's how it was. 
because the history of this is these these animal crackers were once named for the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, and so they'd, they'd have these, these things in cages. Um, now, Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, you know, folded a, a couple of years ago. So, how does this relate to animal crackers? Well, the folks at PETA, the PETA people. Again, in a lesson of more time on their hands, for the last 20 years, they have been pressuring Nabisco to change the packaging. I swear I am not making this up. Change the packaging on animal crackers so that they did not show the animals in cages and rather showed the animals like in their natural habitat. Mm -hmm. And finally... Finally, the long national nightmare is over. They got their wish. Nabisco has decided, yes, we are going to give those wonderful folks at PETA, we're going to give them what they want. So I now have in my hand an illustration of what the new animal crackers will look like. They're now called Barnum's Animal Crackers. And instead of the poor cartoon animals being depicted in cages. Did I mention, by the way, they're cartoon animals, they're drawings? Instead of the animals being drawn in cages, they are now drawn wandering wild uh, around the area. So PETA trucks up another huge success. Political correctness runs amok and wins again. What would we do without PETA? It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Brewers and Reds continue their series from beautiful Miller Park. Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre is on the call, and our Brewers coverage starts 6.35 this evening. I'm going out to the ballgame. Good game yesterday. Uh, well, no, they won. It was the, my, my producer, Gru, is shrugging his shoulders. No, uh, no, Chase Anderson gave up those two home runs early, and that was pretty much it. I mean, Brewers came back, scored five runs. Um, Chase Anderson pitched strong six innings. Uh, Hader had two innings. Jeffries got the save. It's all good. All good. Brewers win. Need to keep that up. All right. This is one of the reasons why it's good to have people who have institutional memories. When it comes to school referendums, I think one of the greatest abusers, and I understand there's a long list, has been the Racine Unified School District. If you will remember back, it seems like there was a point in time where every year, sometimes more than that, you would have the Racine Unified School District going in and asking for a referendum, asking for the people of the district to give them money. And what happened was the voters almost always said no. But here's the problem with these school district referendums. You can get told no over and over and over again, and then all you need is once. I mean, so keep coming back, keep bringing the things back, and sooner or later, if you get people to say yes, you will be all set. Well, the Racine Unified School District was on a losing streak until they came up with this masterful public relations campaign. And the public, but see, before they would say, we need money for this or administrative spending or whatever. And then they said, no, 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 we're obviously not getting the public's attention. So what they said is they said, here's the deal. If you don't voters approve the referendum, we're going to have to do away with extracurricular activities. No football, no basketball, none of this stuff. And then, of course, you had the the kids who were all upset. Oh, my gosh, they're taking away the football team. They're taking away the basketball team. All that sort of stuff. And then it ended up succeeding. It, it was the tactic they used. It's kind of like whenever you have the discussion about the government shutdown, um, we, we don't talk about the mid-level bureaucrats who might get laid off. 
the people will say, well, if there's a government shutdown, you're going to have to close down the Smithsonian, and they're going to close down the monuments. You know, this idea to try to figure out a way to present something so you cause the most pain possible. The Racine Unified School District has therefore, they, they learned, they've been very, very good at trying to, again, present referendums in a way to, I don't know, create the most havoc possible if the referendum were turned down. So they've had two referendums in the last 10 years that have passed. One in 2008 for $16.5 million, and one in, a, uh, in 2014 for $127 million. Big one, $127 million. And in both cases, one of the reasons, one of the, the top line priorities when they were trying to sell this referendum to the public was the kids need a new swimming pool at Racine Case. The argument was, look, the the pool they have right now is this really old pool. It's unusable. It's structurally unsound. It's unsafe. The Case swimming team and diving team is having its practices at, at some other school. This is terrible. Don't you care about the kids? Look, and then then you trot out pictures of the kids who are on the swim team and the diving team, and they'd be, oh, this is really a pain, you know, that we can't get this this approved. And it's it's about three million. It's a small part of the overall referendum, but this was one of the top line items. Here, we need this money to fix the pool. We need to rebuild this. All right, and and it caught people's attention, and it was one of, perhaps not the only reason, but it was one of the reasons why. The referendum in 2008 passed, and the referendum in 2014 passed. All right. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today, I'm going to give you three guesses, but the first two don't count. One referendum in 2008, we got to have a new pool. That's one of the reasons we do this. One big one that passed in 2014, we've got to have this new pool. All right. Two referendums that have been passed. One in 2008, one in 2014. Would you like to guess how much money from either one of these referendums has been used for the pool? None. Rue says none. You got it in one. Not a single dime from these referendums. And again, this was like the, this, I understand it's a small, relatively small part. It's, a, it's like $3 million. And I say small, I, in, in comparison to the whole 27 million, 127 million. Um, not a dime, not a dime has been used for this, despite two referendums, again, talking about the need to, to upgrade and do these different improvements. Not a single dime of the money that has been collected has been directed to fix the pool. So the school board, the same people who've been taking all this dough over the years, believe it or not, is now considering another school spending referendum to put on the November ballot. And one of the justifications will be, we need dough for the pool. Meanwhile, the swimmers... They're saying, and their parents are saying, wait, wait a second. You know, what, what's been going on here? Despite the fact that, you know, you had these two referendums that have passed, not a dime has been spent on this. The things are closed. Um, <laughs> what, what's going on? And the current school board members, the ones are saying, well, um, you know, we, we don't, we, we, a lot of us weren't on the board at the time. So, you know, we, we understand that there were promises for the past referendum money. 
Um, but, you know, we're not the ones that, that made them. So, um, you know, it's nothing we can do. And once we got the referendums passed, we decided that we were going to spend the money on more pressing needs, which may very well, okay, be the case. But you sold it on the pool. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, I think, is a classic example of how some of these school boards just can flat out not be trusted. And it's one of the reasons you have to look at these school referendums. Again, down in Racine, one of the things, let's put this on the front burner, you need to have this pool fixed. All right, this is it. Give us the money. We will take care of it. And yet then once the money is approved, well, it's spent on other things. And the truth is that maybe voters would have gone the other way. You take out some of these high-profile type of things which catch the attention of the general public. Oh, we're going to have to do away with the athletic teams. Well, nobody wants to do away with athletic teams. Here, they'll vote to approve it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I take no position on whether, I don't know, $3 million to redo and reinstall the pool is good or bad or whatever. Whatever. I am just struck by the fact that this has been what has been promised, and this has been one of the selling points on the referendum, getting people to vote in favor of spending referendums, and then over 10 years, not a dime has gone to the pool. And that, to me, is telling. Steve and Racine. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? I think they need to stop asking for money, and the reason I think that is uh, they bought a new uh, referendum in 2008. They bought a new unified building, made the building into a gym for the teachers, and bought them all Fitbit bracelets. <laughs> and not only that, they replaced uh, or rebuilt schools that didn't need to rebuild, and they are still unused right now. They said they were going to sell them all, and they're still being unoccupied. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, it's. I mean, you you look at the school district. I think going back over the course of the last twenty or thirty years, and I, I think it's been one of the most mismanaged school districts in the area. I don't think there's any question about that. But but again, one of the frustrations I'm having is you you go you sell the general public a bill of goods. You explain what we're going to spend this money on, and then you don't follow through with that. How can you be trusted in the future? You can't, and it's it's a problem that the people aren't paying attention. They're not paying attention to what they're voting on. Um, well, or or they're trusting people. I mean, I, I look, I I get it. They see this thing. Oh my gosh, you've got all these these cute kids, and it's a swim team, and they're disbanding because they don't have a place to go, and all this type of stuff. We can't have that happen. We have to support them. So they vote yes, and then the school board turns around and says, "Well, never mind, <laughs> never mind. Right. We've got other stuff we want to spend the dough on." And if I'm in that predicament, if my kids are over in sports, um, I'm going to ask where the money is for that. Those that I have to pay to enroll them in the sport. Yes, exactly. Now, thanks for the call, Steve. I mean, this is see, this is the this is the problem, and, and it it happens a lot of times with a lot of these school referendums, where the simple fact of the matter is the people that are pushing it cannot be trusted with the money, and they try to I don't know. I mean, manipulate the system. What you have a lot of times is you have, all right, we're going to spend it. We're going to try to use it as a justification for this, but then we're going to spend it somewhere else. And again, this is in Racine, you know, this is one of these things that just screams out to you. All right. You know, we can have an argument about whether or not 
it's worth it to spend millions of dollars to renovate this particular pool or replace it or whatever. But that was the promise. Approve the referendum. We're going to give the kids the pool. So not one but two referendums are approved, not a dime spent on the pool. And now the people on the school board are considering coming back and asking for another one. I would not trust the members of the Racine Unified School District if I lived in that district as far as I could throw them, and I don't think I could throw them very far. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is the silly season. I was... um I don't get a hard copy of the local newspaper anymore, but I, I do. I, I, but you can check it out online. And in this this happens every election season, and it's it's starting maybe even a little bit earlier. What happens is you have these Democratic hit groups who put out attack ads, and then they are reported in the newspaper just uncritically, just completely uncritically, um, because. Uh, again, you, you have some of this bias that creeps into the mainstream media. Into the front section of today's paper, let's see, uh, A6, second former Walker aide makes ad for Evers. All right, that's newsworthy. Then on the next page, Baldwin campaign hits Vukmir's on, t- on tie to, ties to Alec. So here, what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to take the press releases that come out of certain campaigns, and we're just going to regurgitate them in the case of news. But then there's the one I really want to talk about. Walker opponents take him to task over state planes. And you're going to see a lot of this over the last, over the next, you know, month and a half or so. There, there is this left wing union paid for attack group called One Wisconsin Now. And, and what they do is they will attack conservative Republicans, all sorts of wild attacks. And unfortunately, they, they know that by putting out these attacks, they are going to be uncritically reported. By the mainstream media, you've got lazy newspaper reporters who are, hey, this is a story. I can, I don't have to work. I can just kind of regurgitate this. So here's the thing. Scott Walker opponents hit him over flights on state planes. Now, I have been around Wisconsin politics as a principal or a commentator for a long time. I will tell you this. Every time there is an election, you get the other side that trots out the the state plane thing. Jim Doyle did it against uh, Scott McCallum when he was running. Um, You had, oh, Scott McCallum is riding around on too many planes. Mark Green did it against Jim Doyle when he ran against Doyle after Doyle was running for a second term. And, And now you have one Wisconsin now attacking Scott Walker. Well, he uses planes. Well, okay, then I'm, I'm kind of reading this. Now, the interesting thing about this is that during the last six years, from 2011 to 2017, Walker and his cabinet have spent less, less than the average that Jim Doyle spent. Um, and what happens is Wisconsin is is a big state, and it's difficult to get around unless you unless you fly. And sometimes... Depending on what the schedule is, you fly from Madison to West Bend, and then you fly back to Madison, and then you fly to La Crosse, and then you fly to Hayward. That's just the reality of it because, I don't know, if you're the governor and you have a series of places that you have to be in a given day in a state like this, you can't spend three or four hours in cars. And so this whole state plane thing is just, it's foolish. It's been foolish all the time. 
But here again, you have this example of you've got one of these attack groups. They resurrect this old chestnut. They throw it out. And then you've got the mainstream media that instead of just looking at this and saying, here we go again, this is sort of a silly thing, it it ends up getting attention. And my guess is you are going to see this over and over and over again, the attention that's given to some of this silliness because – Well, number one, we're lazy. We don't want to have to go out and do our own work and come up with stories. So we will just regurgitate press releases that we get. And then, you know, number two, well, we really don't like Scott Walker that much. So this will be fine. And we certainly don't like Leah Vukmir. So Baldwin campaign hits Vukmir on ties to ALEC. Um, ALEC is the American Legislative Exchange Council, which, you know, works in cooperation with conservatives. And, you know, it's okay. So they're, they're going to attack her for that. And of course, this gets the attention. It's just, it's one of the things that is so very frustrating. If you were observer of media coverage and for people in the media who don't understand why they get accused of bias, you know, just, just look at, you know, what, what passes for a newspaper today. You know, not one, not two, but three attack stories based primarily on allegations by the liberal opponents or the liberal attack jobs, and that's what gets into the paper. Huh. And people wonder why you have stories about fake news. Scott Walker on state airplanes, that's a fake news story. And for people who don't like to be called out on it, well, again, I say to the media, if you don't like to be called out and accused of printing fake news, don't print fake news. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If, if you don't understand the impact of Foxconn, here's a story. A, a California firm is apparently paying big money to buy up land near the factory site. It's a company out of San Diego. They're buying land. It, one was a decrepit eight-unit motel and the home run haven, uh, home run heaven baseball park. You know, they're, they're buying 28 acres. They paid like two and a half million dollars, which is way more than that property would have otherwise been worth. And they're buying it because I think they see what the future of this is going to be. And they want to be in a position to control this. This is one of the effects of Foxconn. And again, you're seeing it already. It's not just the workers who are coming from all over the state to do the work on, on putting up the structure, but it's also other firms that are coming in. They're pouring money into Wisconsin because they recognize that this is going to be a thriving area and that's good for everybody. And it's frustrating to me that some people don't get it. All right. When we come back in the next hour of the program, the nanny state of California says, No soda in Happy Meals. Journal Sentinel has a story suggesting that dress codes are racist and a lot more. Stick around. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Melissa, this is just how my mind works. I can't let this the thing go. This is going to bother me. I was talking about it with Bill Stat and just mentioned it to yeah. you. Mm-hmm. All right. When you go to a Packers game, you go to Lambeau Field. Yes. When you, I, Tonight, I'm going to the Brewers game. I go to Miller Park. And September 4th, I'm going to the Killers concert at Serve Forum. Well, right. See, that, that, but that, that's it. But at the same time... Over the years, I have gone to basketball games at the Bradley yeah, Center. Yeah, I think I that's where everyone's I, I don't go up, to yeah. Bradley Center. Mm-hmm. I go to the Bradley Center. Before that, I went to Bucks games at the Milwaukee Arena. Um, and matter of fact, I just I just spent, I want these three minutes of my life back. I'm trying to search the Internet, <laughs> figuring out what the rule is when you use the, the article, when you use the article the and when you don't. I mean, 
Uh, and and there doesn't appear to be any sort of rule. Now the Bucks can call it what they want, I, you know. But it's it is Pfizer Forum, not the, the Pfizer Forum. Forum. Well, another thing you said earlier to me was, you know, you go to the Riverside Theater. Yeah, we, we, right. We during the you, news, we had the ad. Yes. They get the show. You don't go to Riverside, Riverside Theater. Theater. You go to the Riverside Theater. That's confusing. I, yeah, I. I <laughs> It, it, you have to get used to it. I think once you say it a few times, it, it flows. But yeah, originally, I mean, like you said, the Bradley Center, the Pfizer Forum, but Pfizer Forum. It is Pfizer mm-hmm. Forum. Well, no like kidding. I say, we we will we will do this. But this is this is going to bother me. I because I mean, I, I you 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 go to Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. You don't go to the Yankee Stadium. I just gotta I've got to try to figure this out. And again, you can call whatever it is. You don't you go to the White House. You don't go to White House. <laughs> I, That's I, a good point. I'm just. My, I, let's go to White House. That right, sounds weird. Right. No. Exactly. It's like let's go to Waffle House. Okay, let's no, go to White Castle. Okay. Right. You, you don't go to the White, White Castle. <laughs> you go to to White Castle. It only works with certain certain things. I. I and again. Okay. So I'm gonna. My producer is going. Okay. He's I, like I, shaking I, his head. You gotta I, I let understand. This, go. this is the little things that I like bounce around in my mind. I, I get it. I'm. I'm I'm up on all the, the big things and all, but it's like, when do you use the? Yeah. Well, it's kind of so, like me and, and square pizza the other day, right? Right. That's I don't it. Like you, pizza you don't like squares. square pizza. Well, and again, I don't, <laughs> I don't care. You can, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the Bucks can call the new place Fred. Is, I, and I'll, I'll go with it. I'm going down to the Fred. I'm just, I just got to learn how to do this. So yes. the Pfizer, it, not the, mm-hmm. it is Pfizer Forum, like Miller Park. And Lambeau Field. You'll get it. It is opening. So well, I don't know about you that, will. but I'll, I, I will get, I will probably say the, and then I'll, but okay, it's Pfizer Forum. All right. Let's stop talking about the Pfizer Forum. Here's the deal. This is California. Is it the nanny state or is this something that's long overdue and we should do it in Wisconsin? If you have ever gone into a restaurant, or gone to uh, a many a, a burger doodle like a McDonald's, and you have ordered a children's meal, like you, you go into the restaurant and you ask for the the kids menu, and a lot of times on the kids menu, what they will do is they will combine things. You can get the macaroni and cheese, and the apple slices, and a drink, right? You know, and it's all wrapped up into one into one price. Like you go to McDonald's and they've got the Happy Meals, and it's been a long time since I've ordered a Happy Meal, but you can get like the chicken McNuggets and you can get like the apple slices, which are actually quite good. I was at a at a golf tournament a month or so ago, and McDonald's had a thing, and they had the apple slices, and you can get a soda, right? Or you you can get your drink with it. That that's how it works. So it's all rolled up into one package. California, the legislature has passed a law, which is now sitting on the desk of. The governor of California, Moonbeam Jerry Brown, which he is likely to sign, the law prohibits restaurants that offer children's meals as packages. It is now going to be against the law in California as part of the children's meal to offer a soda with that. You can sell the macaroni and cheese. You can sell the apple slices as part of the package. But if it is a children's meal, you can no longer offer soda. You have to, you can only offer juice or milk or water. If the restaurant violates this by, again, as part of the, the kids meal offering soda, they can be fined up to, I want to say it's $500. 
$500 every time they would do this. Now, there is a loophole to this, and that is that let's say mom and dad decide, gee, we don't want the the government of California telling our kid whether he can have a Coke with his meal. Well, mom and dad can order a Coke. They can't substitute it, but they can order a Coke and then give it to the kid. But it's against the law to include soda as part of the children's meal. And the idea is, again, we have a problem with childhood obesity in this country. Kids are are drinking too much soda. So this is how the government is going to solve it. No soda by law with children's meals, only juice, milk, or water. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. Is this a reasonable response by a state who is which is concerned with the health of its citizens particularly the health of its children, to limit the evil practice of drinking soda with your meals? Or is this the nanny state run amok? Does government have any business telling a restaurant that you can't, you can't, it's not like they're saying, hey, you can't serve, you know, Woodford Reserve bourbon with the kid's meal. They're saying you can't serve soda with the kid's meal as a matter of law. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Government run amok? Or, hey, we should be looking at this in Wisconsin. Wake up, legislators. All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th at the Brewers Community Foundation's Hitting for the Cycle event. Together we'll conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park, followed by a tailgate party and a matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates. Hitting for the Cycle benefits Dream Bikes, the Urban Ecology Center, and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program. For more information or to sign up, text the word CARES to 414-799-1620. WTMJ CARES is presented by First Bank Financial Center. All right, we have touched a nerve with this topic. If you're just tuning in, Moonbeam Jerry Brown, who is the governor of California, is about ready to sign into law a law which would say restaurants in California that offer children's meals, and it doesn't matter whether it's a drive through at a Burger Doodle or it's a Denny's or whatever, you know, the combined children's meal where you get the macaroni and cheese and you get, you know, the peach slices or whatever, and you get a drink. Under the law, the restaurants would no longer be allowed to include soda as part of the children's meal. They could only offer milk, juice, or water. Now, mom and dad could buy a soda separately for the kid and give it to them, but it could not be included in the package. All right, nanny state run amok, or gee, why don't we do this in Wisconsin? This sounds like an absolutely great idea. Let's see, Kevin says, if you follow this general rule, you'll be doing well. Take the opposite position of any new law coming out of California, government literally telling you by law what you can drink. Please stop. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Molly in Oconomowoc. Hi, Molly. Hi, 
Hi, how are you today, Jeff? I am well, thank you. Okay, uh, this is for the kids. They say it's for the kids. Kids are drinking too much soda. We've got to stop the restaurants from allowing that to happen. Well, my thought is, I guess I would like to know why, because if it has to do with sugar content, I think they're making a grievous error because there is equally as much sugar in juice as there is in soda. Well, yeah, sometimes, I mean, sometimes more. I mean, if, if you have, you know, you, you talk to any, you're, you're right, you talk to any dietitian for people who are supposed to watch their sugars and stuff, one of the big no-nos is juice because Absolutely. it's just, it's, it's through the roof. Um, right. I mean, so while there might be more healthy stuff in orange juice, there's also just a ton of sugar as well. But juice is okay. Um, soda is not. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And honestly, I could see restaurants with loopholes saying something on the menu like, oh, for a quarter, you can get a soda instead. I know you said no substitutions, but I've got to believe that restaurants can get pretty creative with their language if they really do want to well, offer or al- that at a reduced price. Well, or alternatively, Molly, I mean, keep in mind, that's one of the silly things about the, this this law is that mom and dad who are ultimately the ones that can make the choice, mom or dad, they, they could buy a soda anyways and give it to the kid. You know, so I mean, it's, you know, I mean, th- thanks for right. I mean, I mean, it's it's like it, it's not like it, it seems to me if you really want to deal with this, then you just outlaw it. You say, okay, it's going to be illegal for restaurants to serve soda to anybody under twelve or seventeen or eighteen. Now, the way this is worded, it, it's not. It's not age specific. It's anybody who orders a something that's packaged as a children's meal. The way I understand the law, and I, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. If you have a, a kid that goes in and just orders regularly off the menu, I, I want a cheeseburger. I want, uh, you know, I want a cheeseburger and fries, and I, I want a soda. That's okay. They can buy it. It's just if it's the children's meal like the kitty menu or something like that. But again, if mom or dad, and this, this to me, to me, this is the ultimate thing. Mom or dad, you know, if, if you object to your child having a soda with his or her meal, go with God. Then you're the one that says, no, you got to get a milk or you're going to have a water or whatever. But for the government to say, we're not going to allow this to be packaged in this way, to me is just a gross, gross overreach. Let's talk to uh, Charlie in Fond du Lac. Charlie, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, this, I mean, this, this law out there in California, that's crazy, if you ask me. I mean, now, on the other hand, if they would, would make it a policy for schools, I mean, I'm all for that, you know. You know, because the schools, you know, they've got well, want to try to make uh, the meals healthy for the kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's all right. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, see, that that's always been one of the things. Now, again, in a you know, schools have been cracking down on this for the longest time. They've they've been taking you know, sodas and vending machines out of out of the schools. Now, to me, in all honesty, I think this is a futile battle because what ends up happening is if the kid wants to drink a thirty two ounce thing of, of of Mountain Dew, well, all right, the, the fact that you you can't buy it. In a vending machine at school isn't going to make any difference because they're just going to go into the convenience store and they're going to buy it. To me, this is all part of, uh, again, parental responsibility, and you don't need the nanny state dictating what it is that people can and can't have. And I guess if, if why draw the line then on soda? If we are concerned about obesity, for example, why don't we say uh, where you've got the kitty meals? Now, I, I go 
to restaurants occasionally. And as part of the kitty meal, you know, ordering off the children's menu, there is a dessert that is included. You know, you get, you get a little cup of ice cream or whatever. Well, all right. If we're going to ban soda, you know, why aren't we banning that? Why aren't we saying, okay, no kitty meal can include a dessert that has ice cream or apple pie or cookies or anything like that? I mean, if, if we're really protecting the kids, why do we try to limit it in this fashion? Let's talk to John in Sheboygan. John, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm of the same camp there. It seems an awfully uh, silly uh, proposition. I'm not sure why they're singling out the soda. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about it that soda, I think we can all agree, is, is unhealthy. <clears throat> but to say that the list of the rest of the items on that menu is healthy, just for example, you're mentioning fast food restaurants. Almost every, these places make their living on selling these hamburgers with a slice of cheese on it. Now, do you realize when you buy that slice of cheese, even in the grocery store, that American pasteurized cheese that says made with 2% milk, that doesn't mean it's made with 2% milk. It's made of only 2% milk is made of it. That leads us to the question that, what is the other 98? <laughs> oh, John, no, don't run, John. This is the dairy state, man. Thanks. So don't, I'm not, you're not going to come on my program and run down cheese. Don't, I, I don't want to be thinking about that if I have a cheeseburger for dinner tonight. What's in there? But again, this is, this is the bigger point about the out of control nanny state. I mean, I, I understand that if, first of all, I am a big believer that, that everything is appropriate in moderation. If you have a child, for example, that's drinking a 12-pack of Mountain Dew every day, that's not going to be good for them. At the same time, I don't believe having an occasional soda, sugary or otherwise, I don't think that's going to kill them. It's part of this overall nutrition type of thing, and, and that comes down to mom and dad. If mom and dad don't want their kid having a soda with their children's meal, that's fine. No problem. That's when you say, okay, um, Alex is going to have the mac and cheese and he's going to have the pear slices and he's going to have a glass of milk or he's going to have a glass of orange juice or whatever. That That's fine. You, you do that. But the idea that, no, the restaurant by law can't offer a soda as part of that is just, I mean, again, it's first of all, it's a gross overreach. Secondly, it's not going to make one whit of difference when it comes to overall issues of childhood obesity, because my guess is the obesity isn't caused by some kid sitting in a Denny's with mom and dad ordering the children's thing. It's that he goes home and he drinks, you know, two quarts of Mountain Dew. That's where the issue is. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Bloomberg News reporting that uh, Michael Cohn, who is the longtime lawyer for Donald Trump, is set to plead guilty to federal charges. He's due to appear in federal court at 3 o'clock our time. Um, the federal charges supposedly stem from hush payments to women who claim to have had affairs with the president. That in and of itself is, is not Ill- illegal, um, but the charges apparently relate to uh, campaign finance fraud, bank fraud, and tax fraud. Uh, said they attribute that to um, somebody who is familiar with this particular situation. He's scheduled again to appear at 3 o'clock our time. The deal does not include his cooperation with authorities, although that, although that could change. 
um, because the plea agreement is not yet public. And, of course, if there were any sort of cooperation, um, I guess the question becomes, what does that mean for President Trump? We will know more, but right now, 3 o'clock today is when he is supposed to make appearance in court. The way these things happen is that it is not uncommon, particularly in what we call the, the white-collar type of cases, for there to be discussions before there's charges. And then, uh, um, actually, the plea agreement comes oftentimes before the matter is presented to the grand jury with an understanding that, okay, you know, we'll plead guilty to these things, you drop these things, and then we kind of move on. We'll know more in about a half hour. It's 2.35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There is an interesting and provocative piece in the front page of the local newspaper today um, citing some African-American patrons who are complaining about dress codes that are in place at some bars slash nightclubs in downtown Milwaukee, and they're saying they're, they're used to discriminate. Um, one of the ones that's getting some attention is one at, at McGillicuddy's. And there is a sign which I think has been taken down. But, um, you know, here, here's, for example, here's what the sign said. Dress code is enforced at the staff and management's discretion. Overall appearance must be clean and form-fitting. Fitting or slim-fit shirts. Stitching must line up with the top of the shoulders. Standard-fitting jeans and slacks. No loose or baggy-fitting jeans. Shorts must not hang below mid-calf. Shorts and pants must be worn at the hip as opposed to um, down around your ankles, I guess. No large jewelry or mouth jewelry, no neck or face tattoos, no athletic clothing, all right? So some people hear that and they say, well, this is, you might as well just put up a sign that says, you know, no no black people allowed. That's at least what they say in the story. Um, McGillicuddy's, for example, says, like most downtown bars, McGillicuddy's has a dress code in place for the safety of our staff and guests. Much of the same as many restaurants, schools, businesses, and golf clubs, we choose to hold our patrons to a certain standard for admittance into our establishment. Our policies, which were developed with the help of the police, address safety issues such as clothing that conceal can conceal weapons and gang-related identifiers. The rules apply to everyone. And then the story goes on to quote, you know, other people who say, well, you know, we've opened nightclubs and we're much less restrictive on the dress codes and we find that we don't have a problem at all. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, obviously, any time that you have a dress code, there's going to be some degree of, of subjectivity. You know, what What makes a pair of pants too baggy? You know, what, you know, there's always going to be a certain element to that. And obviously this is going to always expose the bars or the nightclubs that if you have two people who are dressed the same way and one is black and one is white or one is white and one is Hispanic and you, you let the white guy in or the white gal in and you say no to the African-American, then you're going to leave yourself open to, uh, again, being accused of discriminating and things like that. But having said that, and, and so I think you, you clearly, if you're going to have rules and dress codes, you have to apply them across the board. You know, you have to be consistent with that and you have to have people that know those rules and apply them in a consistent fashion. But I want to talk about the larger concept. The idea of dress codes. Now, I, I don't know about you, and, and admittedly, 
I, I don't go out to nightclubs, you know, late at night, like as much as perhaps I, I used to, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. But I don't think it is unreasonable as long as it is applied across the board. I don't think it is unreasonable for nightclubs to put in or bars to put in dress codes. Again, you've got to apply it across the board. But if a nightclub is trying to create a certain type of vibe or ambiance um, to attract a certain type of clientele, I think that they should have the right to do that. And if you've got a bar or a nightclub that's concerned about, hey, we don't want a bunch of uh, gangbangers or gangbanger lookalikes coming in here because we think it's going to lead to trouble, I, I don't have a problem with that. If you have a nightclub or a bar that decides, hey, there's a certain look that we want to have, I think they have every right to do that, again, as long as you apply it consistently across the board. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I would much rather go to a place that's going to have certain standards that are going to be there. And maybe that's going to contribute to safety. Maybe it's going to contribute to a more upscale vibe. But if that's what the bar owner wants to do, my response would be, yeah, you, you should do that. And as long as you apply it across the board evenly, which, again, is always going to leave you open to certain, I mean, sort of arguments. Why? How come I do I have too much jewelry and this person doesn't have enough? But but it, as a general rule, I think places have every right to have dress codes. And I think that from a business perspective, in general, those dress codes are probably going to work. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you rather go to a place that has a dress code that enforces that dress code for the experience? 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. 240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story in the local newspaper today. The headline is that uh, dress codes at some of the downtown bars and nightclubs well, some people say they discriminate uh, against African-American patrons. Now, obviously, if you've got a dress code, you, you have to enforce it across the board. And if you have two people who are wearing exactly the same type of clothing and you let one person in and you don't let the other person in, you're always going to be subject to those sort of claims. So you've got to train people to do it. But big picture, I have no problem at all with restaurant owners or bar owners or nightclub owners saying, look, there, there's a certain ambiance that we want. And, you know, we want to create an atmosphere of a high end dance club. So we expect people come dressed in a certain fashion. I think that should be the right of the businesses to do it. Let's talk to Rich in Milwaukee. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Rick. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, you know, the whole dress code with the pants and shorts at the waist, well, that has to do with, the, you know, the fashion statement of the boxers underneath. And right. Let their butt hang out. And, I mean, nobody wants to see that <laughs> at an establishment. Uh, I mean that's not really right. It's you know, it's not the image. It's not the image that you that you want for your particular bar. So I think owners have the right to do that. Right, and and I I've been turned away. I've been turned away from establishments before. I mean I'm not going to name the restaurant, but I was wearing a t-shirt and it wasn't offensive. Right. But you know they turned me away because they didn't want me to come in there with that t-shirt it was a sports bar right 
and it was Packers against Minnesota, and I had a T-shirt that had the word Minnesota and a Viking on it with the circle and the slash through it. Okay, right. So they were just like, hey, you can't come in here with that. And right. it was like me and my buddies, and we were going to go to the bar and watch the game, and then I can't mm-hmm. come in. Yeah. It, so I was like, okay, fellas, let's go somewhere else. Well, that's exactly right. You know, that, that, I mean, thanks for that. See, that, that's to me, that's the response. Let, let's go somewhere else. Um, my wife, who dresses me well, <laughs> you know, uh, but I mean, it, it's kind of like that. I'll, I'll be dressed in a certain fashion and then she'll look and she'll say, no, no, you're not going out of the house dressed like that. Or, you know, we're going to the place we're going. You know, you're you're not you're not going to be comfortable, kid. You know, take take off that hoodie. Take off that hoodie. I got a million hoodies. You know, how many hoodies do you have? Take off that hoodie. You know, no, that that's not going to fit in here. Put on a shirt with a collar or whatever. Those are the, the different places, and those are the different rules that people have. And and I think again, as long as you enforce it across the board, you have to be fair with how you do this. But as long as you do that in that fashion, I, I think you have every right to do it. You as a nightclub owner, you as a restaurant owner, you as a bar owner, there's a certain atmosphere that you want to create for your your bar. And if you're a guy that runs a dive bar and you don't care about that type of stuff because you want the business and that's kind of the atmosphere, the dive bar, God bless you. You you have the right to do it. On the other hand, if you want to say, hey, you know, we're going to require sport jackets for men, I think you have a right to do it, just like I then have a right to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to wear the sport jacket. Here's a note. I watched this a 100 times, especially at McGillicuddy's. The biggest issue is people come in earlier in the night at 6 or 7, get some food, have some drinks, and then they go outside to have a cigarette and come back in. The bouncer recognizes them and lets them in. But the entire time they were dressed out of dress code. Now at nighttime, people trying to come in can't get in even if they have on the same clothes. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the type of stuff that's there. But again, th- this idea that, well, it's a way that you're using to discriminate. Well, well, no, it's a way I think that, uh, again, bar owners, restaurant owners, nightclub owners have of saying, hey, we want to create a certain ambiance and, you know, I don't care if you're white or black or green. You know, if you come in and you've got the boxer shorts hanging out and you've got that prison look and you've got, um, you know, because there's no belt, that's where that, that whole thing comes from. And you've got, you know, that's what you're trying to emulate. Well, that's not the look we want in our particular establishment. I'm sure there's lots of other establishments that aren't going to be as picky. I think, you know, the bar owners have every, just absolutely every right to do that. And so... I think they deserve some credit for that. Hey, before we bring John McCurry, I'm kind of running up against the clock here. I, I did want to mention something that's going on out in Washington, in Waukesha County, that candidly, it's part of this, it's part of this trend. I am a fan. I like baseball, right? I, I love going to baseball games, but it seems like every time you turn around, you've got some developer that, that wants to come in and wants to, build a baseball stadium, and then wants government help to to do it. The latest thing that's going on is out in Pewaukee. Imagine the Country Springs Hotel, or or whatever they they end up calling it now. It's where we have our annual Insight event. Well, just to the east of that, there there is a golf course, and you have a developer. It's called the Lake Country Commons, and what they want is they want to build two baseball stadiums, one of which could seat 2,500 people, 
Uh, they want a public market, and they want nearly 200 units of multifamily housing. And what they say they would do is we got approval for that. We would buy the Pewaukee Golf Course on Golf Road right by the, the Country Springs Hotel. Well, the neighbors aren't aren't thrilled with this because the neighbors are concerned about the multifamily housing units. They're concerned because there's only one road that runs essentially into where this development would be. And if all of a sudden you've got baseball stadiums that are going to be attracting thousands of people, if they would attract thousands of people, and all this multifamily housing, you're going to have a huge problem with congestion. My guess is they're also not too terribly thrilled about the idea that it's going to be multifamily housing. The developers are saying, well, we can't scale this back too much because if we're going to be able to make like the baseball stadium aspect of this go, what we need to do is we need to have the housing units to make sense of this whole thing. Look, I'm a fan of baseball. But one of the things that I think we are seeing happen is this idea that, you know, we're going to build stadiums. That's kind of like the Trojan horse. People saying, oh, we're going to have a stadium. We're going to have that monorail. This is great. We're going to have the stadium, so we're going to sign off on this because then the high school baseball team can play there, and maybe we can get a minor league team. But as a condition of that, we want to put in the multifamily housing that might not really belong there. Or we want to turn this over to, you know, again, we want to turn this over into a more commercial thing or, or retail development or whatever. And we're going to use baseball as the lure. You're seeing this all over the area. I don't understand, and I've said this about a couple of these other baseball stadiums that they're looking at, I just don't see the demand. I mean, I don't know who's going to fill these things. I think that, again, we're creating these tax incremental financing districts to build these different ballparks that are supposedly going to attract minor league baseball or whatever. I, I think a lot of this stuff is going to fail. This is the current hot thing but I understand why people in Pewaukee aren't particularly thrilled about this. And I guess my advice to the plan commission members would be go really carefully on this one because unless you're going to make a lot of improvements to the infrastructure out there, including adding substantial roadways and things like that, multifamily housing unit and the spaces where this golf course is and a stadium that might, if you believe the developers, attract 2,000 people for a given game, I don't know how you're going to get them in and out of there. I, I just flat out don't unless you're going to make major sort of improvements. The neighbors aren't thrilled with this. The neighbors never are. There's always a lot of this not-in-my-backyard stuff. But in this particular situation, I think especially if you're going to be talking about government money involved in helping this developer – I think you have every right to go extremely carefully. You have been warned. It's 2.53. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.